All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to our 10 a.m. service here at Citizens. Happy Palm Sunday. Uh, so great to see all of you here. Um, as always, I have the privilege of bringing us God's word. Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. So we are continuing in our series uh, through the book of Acts, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Um, it's going to be on the screen behind me, but if you're following along on a mobile device and you can choose your translation, I'm going to be reading from the NIV. Okay, Acts 3, verses 1 to 10. This is the reading of God's word. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Amen. Let me say a prayer for us as we begin. Holy Spirit, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer, the one who is near, the one who comforts us in times of trouble. Our hearts this morning especially ache with our brothers and sisters, with hurting families and friends of those who have lost their loved ones this past week at the Covenant School, for the communities in Nashville that are reeling from the horrific shooting this past week, we ask for your presence. We ask that the hope of the gospel would, be, would come to bear uh, upon all of those communities. God, we thank you that in the midst of so much brokenness in our own lives and in our world, we can gather together as a community and receive the grace and the mercy um, that is new every morning in you. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, we launched uh, a new series in the book of Acts, and we're exploring what it means to be a spirit-filled church by looking at the first church, okay? And we know that the first church, they didn't have much. They didn't have any buildings, uh, no clout, no slick campaigns. Uh, you just had a ragtag group of people empowered by the Holy Spirit who devoted themselves to the teachings of Jesus, who broke bread in each other's homes, and who shared everything they had so no one among them had any need, right? So very basic stuff, learning together, uh, eating together, giving to those in need, and then things just started happening. 
People just started getting healed. Lives started to change. And something that really stuck out to me in the passage that DC preached last week is that Luke tells us in Acts 2 that the early church enjoyed the favor of all people. They enjoyed the favor of all people. You didn't need to beat people over the head with Christianity because it was so attractive to everyone. In the middle of this extremely hierarchical, elitist, segregated, dog-eat-dog society, you had this community of people who just loved each other so well, who opened their homes and their lives to people different from them, and everyone around them was like, what do those people have? I want what they have. And we read at the end of Acts 2 that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Christianity exploded in the first century not because the church found some secret sauce or because the church had great musicians or great preachers. As DC said last week, the first sermon ever preached by the Apostle Peter was surprisingly mediocre. And yet the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And I mention this for two reasons. Number one, to remind us that when the church is at its best, it's attractive. Though the, is the gospel inherently countercultural and offensive? Absolutely. In a world where everyone is working so hard to be great and to make a name for themselves, any message that says the most important thing about you is not what you've done, but what has been done for you, that's an offensive message. But when an entire community of people buy into this message, when you have a community of people who truly believe this and treat each other the way God treats them, that community is attractive. Now, sadly, I think it's obvious that that is not the reputation the church has today. We certainly do not enjoy the favor of all people. You know, Barna did a recent study where they asked non-believers um, to describe the Christians they knew or to describe what they thought the church was in one word. And you know what the top three words that came out of that study were? The top three words were judgmental, hypocritical, and self-righteous. Judgmental, hypocritical, and self-righteous. The church clearly has a PR problem that it did not have in the first century. The early church was viewed as the most offensively generous, self-sacrificial, loving group of people on the planet. And this brings me to the second reason I mentioned this. Next week, as you know, is Easter Sunday. And when you come to church next week, it's going to be a party here. There's going to be food. There's going to be bounce houses, a beautiful photo booth, a 12-foot screen outside an Easter egg hunt for the kids, we go big on Easter, and rightly so. But don't get it twisted. These things do not make the church the church. They never have, and they never will. All these things are merely signposts that point us to a person. Do not confuse the signs and wonders with the person the signs and wonders are pointing us to. Do not mistake the miracle for the miracle worker. And this is so important as we turn to our passage today because we're going to look at a pretty remarkable miracle. In fact, this is the first miracle ever recorded in the post-Jesus era, right? So up to this point, 
Jesus' Jesus's disciples have performed miracles, but Jesus was always there next to them, right? So if they tried to heal someone and something didn't work, they could always be like, let's bring in the big guns, okay? Let's bring in Jesus, okay? He's going to fix this. But this is the first time now after Jesus' ascension that they're going to have to put to the test whether or not what Jesus said was indeed true, that the spirit living inside of them was better than Jesus beside them. Okay, so we're going to turn to our passage today, and in verse 2, we're introduced to this man who we read was lame from birth, meaning he was born crippled, unable to stand on his own. And we read that every single day of his life, he was carried to the temple gate to beg. Luke makes it a point to include that detail. Every day. Meaning there has not been a day in this man's life that he's been able to take care of himself. Think about the humiliation and the shame of waking up every day knowing that you need others to take care of you. That you can't provide for yourself. That you can't build a career for yourself. You can't carve out a future for yourself. You don't have what it takes to be self-sufficient. And what makes this story even sadder is that in that culture, to be lame from birth didn't just mean you were physically broken. It didn't just mean your body was broken. It meant you were broken. It said something about you as a person. It meant you were unclean. It meant you were cursed by God. Brokenness was your identity. And this is why this man has to sit outside the temple gate. He can't enjoy life and friendship and community like everyone else because he's broken. It's who he is. And if that isn't enough to add insult to injury, the temple gate he gets placed in front of every day is called beautiful. I mean, that's just cruel. And the gate is called beautiful because it's an architectural masterpiece. Historians said it was the most stunning of all the gates into the temple covered in the most ex expensive bronze. And so what you have here is the picture of the most broken beggar next to the most beautiful gate. I think this is sometimes what it feels like to live in LA, surrounded by so many beautiful things, beautiful people, beautiful homes that often feel so close to us and yet so out of reach. And so what do we do? We too beg at the temple gate called beautiful. Climbing, striving, clawing our way to the top, desperately hoping somebody will pay attention to us, all the while realizing that we may never have what it takes to be welcomed into the gate. You see, you and I aren't so different from this man. We may have more things that help us hide the emptiness we feel inside, but in the end, there is not one of us sitting in this room that can stand on our own two feet. All of us are utterly broken. But this man's entire life is going to change in one moment because the power of God is about to break in. And when you have an encounter with the living God, everything changes and that can happen anytime any place anywhere it doesn't have to be on easter sunday we don't have to wait till next week it doesn't have to be at a retreat or a revival i love that the story begins with the words one day one day when peter and john were going up to the temple at the time of prayer it's just one day 
Not a special occasion, not a holiday, just a regular day doing what they always do. And I want to ask you a question. Do you believe that God has the ability to break into your life right now as you're sitting in this room? When you come to church on Sunday, what is your expectation of God? Do you believe that on any given Sunday, God can break in and transform your life? He can transform your marriage. He can transform your family, your relationships, your future. That God can heal you of your addictions and your anxiety. He can do it with one line in a song. He can do it with one word in this sermon. He can do it with a handshake or a conversation. I think so many of us come to church with such little expectation of what God can do. This beggar sitting outside this gate definitely has little to no expectation. He's been carried to this spot every single day of his life. This is the same spot he's had to beg for money every day of his life. For him, the best thing that could happen that day is for him to make enough money to make it through another day. That is the height of this beggar's expectation. This is what it looks like to be caught in a cycle of brokenness. Where you live every day just trying to get by, just trying to survive with very little expectation for what God might do. But thank God that his provision and his goodness is not contingent upon our expectations. Because on what was just an ordinary day for this beggar, Two Jesus followers, Peter and John, they enter the scene and they spot this man whom they probably passed by many times without knowing, right? They, I mean, every day they're there at prayer and they've probably passed him by, but on this day they see him and they walk up to him and in that moment Peter says something crazy. He walks up to the man and he says, look at us, look at us. And you could preach an entire sermon about the power of that moment alone for a man who's been looked past his entire life. You cannot overstate the impact it must have had to have someone see and acknowledge him for the first time. Look at us. And this obviously gets the man's attention and he's probably thinking, good, I'm gonna get some money. I'm gonna meet my quota for the day. But what Peter says next is surprising. He says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. Imagine you walk up to a person who's homeless on the street, and you're, you make eye contact with the person. You're walking straight up to that person. I mean, they have one expectation that you're walking up to them to give them some money. And imagine the first thing out of your mouth is, I don't have any change, but what I do have I give you. The person will be like, are you serious? I, don't, I, I want your money. I don't want what you have. You got to think this beggar is probably thinking, you told me to look at you and you have no money to give me. But what this man does not realize that his expectations aren't too big. They're too small. He just wants enough money to survive another day. He doesn't realize that God, what God wants to do for him, what God wants to give him, is something that all the money in the world cannot buy. God doesn't just want to appease him. God wants to heal him. Friends, the problem with our prayers is not that they're too big. They're too small. 
We think that the thing that will make us happy is a relationship or a bigger home or a promotion, not realizing that God doesn't want to appease us. He wants to heal us. God wants to heal you of the thing that makes you believe that you need a bigger home or a better job or a bigger paycheck to be happy. He wants to show you that what your heart really aches for is something money cannot buy. And this is what Peter is saying. He's saying, you think that silver and gold have the power to save you? They don't. They're all just temporary fixes. And even if you get some today, guess what? You'll be back here in the same place begging tomorrow. What you really need is an encounter with the living God. And so he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Walk. And Peter takes him by the right hand and he pulls him up and it says, instantly his feet and his ankles became strong. Now, there's a very subtle but crucial detail here. We know from many other healing stories that Jesus doesn't need to touch people to heal them, right? In fact, there's a story just like this one, the story of a paralytic in the book of Mark, where Jesus looks at the paralytic and he says, take up your mat and go home. He doesn't touch him, and the man is healed on the spot. But in this particular instance, Luke adds this small detail of Peter pulling this man up. In some translations, it says he grabs him by the right hand. And it reminds us that often the way God chooses to heal our brokenness is through community. People who will stand in the gap for us. People who will carry us when we can't carry ourselves. People who will encourage us and come alongside us. There are so many people in our lives and in our city who are broken. Crying out for help. People who have little hope for the future. People who are lonely. People who are vulnerable and hurting. People who are navigating real grief and loss and hardship. Who will be a Peter and John to them? Who will be an embodiment of God's goodness and generosity to them? Who will fight for them? Who will grab them by the hand and pull them up when they're down? Something I tell every couple before they get married is I say, find yourself other brothers and sisters who care about you as a married couple. Because there will come a time in your marriage where you will be too exhausted and too beat down to fight for your own marriage and you will need others to fight for you. You will need others to pick you up and grab you by the hand and seize you and say, this isn't how it has to be. To say, remember your vows. To say, we're here for you. We're walking with you every step of the way. We all need each other. At this very moment, there are people in your life that God wants to encounter through you. And you may say, well, I don't know if it's in my place to reach out to this person. I don't know if they're going to be receptive. I'm a pretty broken person myself. I want you to put yourself in Peter's shoes in this moment. I want you to put yourself in Peter's mindset. Okay, This is the first time He's trying this thing out without Jesus. And he tells this guy, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. He doesn't even know if what he just said did anything. Right? There's no indication that this man is healed. Right? So if I'm Peter, and this is my first time trying to heal someone without Jesus, 
I'm going to like look very carefully to see if he walks first before I like touch him. And yet what do we read? Peter doesn't know for sure what's going to happen. He doesn't know for sure if he has what it takes, but he takes a step out in faith. And before he sees any visible signs that this guy is healed, we read that he takes him by the right hand and pulls him up. And then instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. You have no idea what God can do through you. God is calling us to be his ambassadors in a world full of brokenness, to be instruments of his healing presence. Now, if you're like me, when I read this, you might be asking, well, if the name of Jesus is this powerful, where these two guys could come on the scene and with a word get this guy to walk who hasn't been able to walk his entire life, why doesn't God heal everyone who's born with a debilitating disease? Why doesn't God heal everyone who gets cancer? Why does God allow horrible things to happen in the world? Why does he allow children to die in their classrooms? Why won't he fix my depression? Why does he allow some people to live easier lives than others? And these are great questions. As I, I was reading like the context of this passage, in Acts 4, you actually learn that this man was 40 years old. And in those times, people didn't live as long as they do now. So 40 years, that's pretty much at the end of your life. And as I was reading this, I was thinking to myself, if God could heal him with a word, why does he wait until the end of his life to do so? Why does he make this guy suffer for 40 long years? Like, that's almost worse. Why did he not heal him sooner so he could live a normal life? Why make this man suffer for so long? And the Bible can be very frustrating because it doesn't give us simple answers to these questions. But here's what we do know. That at the end of the day, as miraculous as this event was, it was never about one man being able to walk again. The miracle was just a glimpse of the miracle worker, of the God who through his life, death, and resurrection gave all of humanity the power to walk again. And as hard as it is to believe, and trust me, it was hard for me to believe reading this too, the best thing that happened to this man on this day was not that his legs started working. It was that he encountered the living God. The best thing that could happen to you today is not that all your problems get fixed. I know that's what you think. The best thing that could happen to you today is not that you finally get your dream home, the spouse, the popularity, the success you've been waiting for. The best thing you could that could happen to you today is that you encounter the living God. Whether you're on the mountaintop or in the valley, whether your prayers get answered the way you want them to or they don't, the best thing that could happen to you is that you experience the incomprehensible love and mercy of Jesus. This is why the first thing that this man does after he realizes he can walk again, he doesn't go run a marathon. You know what he does? He goes into the temple walking and jumping and praising God and praising God. 
the first thing he does is worship. Because this man knows that though what has happened to him is amazing, the miracle is simply a window into the miracle worker. It's all about Jesus. When times are good, give me Jesus. When times are bad, give me Jesus. When my prayers get answered immediately and I experience healing on the spot, give me Jesus. When I have to live my life with a thorn in my side and I've experienced no relief whatsoever, give me Jesus. And here's the thing. The miracle doesn't even end with just this man. We read in verse 9, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. We don't know why God waited so long to heal this man. We don't know why God allowed him to suffer for all those years or suffer at all. But what we do know in the end is that everything had a purpose. And he's now using this man's story to draw everyone around him to the life source of God. To the life source of all, all healing and all goodness and all grace. You may not know what you're why you're going through what you're going through at this moment, but I want to tell you that if there's anything this story tells us, it's that God is always in control and that he is always working everything for his glory and our good. Chad Scruggs is the senior pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church. They are the overseeing church of Covenant School, which we know was the school that endured the horrific mass shooting this week. And his nine-year-old daughter, Hallie, was one of the six victims of the shooting. And on this Sunday, this pastor has to get up on a stage just like this one and somehow provide words of comfort to his congregation after he has just lost his own daughter. And let me tell you, it doesn't matter if you're a pastor. It doesn't matter if you spend all your time at church. This lame beggar was at church every day of his life, and he was still broken. No amount of theology can prepare a parent to bury his or her child. This is a man who devoted his entire life to loving and serving people, and I imagine all week he has been asking the question, why me? But I read something he said in an interview a few days after the shooting that just wrecked me. He said, we're so heartbroken because our daughter was such a gift to us. But through tears, we trust that Hallie is in the arms of Jesus who will raise her to life once again. Through tears, we trust that Hallie is in the arms of Jesus, who will raise her to life once again. What could compel a father to say such words in the wake of losing his child, knowing that every day from this point on, he will have to live with the pain of never being able to hold his daughter again? How can he trust that God is present with him in his brokenness. 
He can trust it because Jesus Christ, who was in very nature God, who was the most beautiful person who ever existed, stepped into our brokenness and became broken himself. You see, there has never been a time in history when God has not been present with us in our brokenness. The Bible says Jesus was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. On the cross, this God, who was the very definition of beauty, became the very definition of brokenness. Rejected, abandoned, humiliated, alone, carrying the weight of sin on our own shoulders. Jesus was cast outside the beautiful gate so you and I could be welcomed in. He who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the gospel. You know, it's a really subtle but fascinating detail is that Luke tells us in Acts 3 that the he tells us the time of the miracle. He says the miracle happened at 3 in the afternoon. You know where else we see that timestamp? In Luke's account of the crucifixion. In Luke 23, we read that when Jesus was crucified, darkness came over the whole land until when? Until 3 in the afternoon, when the sun stopped shining. What was Jesus' moment of greatest darkness was the moment of this man's greatest hope. The Son of Man was broken so you and I would be made beautiful. This is what Passion Week is all about. And you will not understand the significance of Easter Sunday next week unless you understand what Jesus had to endure to secure a future reality that all of these miracles are pointing toward. A reality when there is no more suffering and no more tears and no more brokenness anymore. It's this reality that Pastor Scruggs is surely holding on to this morning. And I think about the words of 2 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Like I mentioned, as many of you know today, today is Palm Sunday. It's a day that commemorates the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem, and we call this day Palm Sunday uh, because the Bible tells us that Jesus was welcomed into the city with crowds of people waving giant palm leaves, shouting, Hosanna! which means help, save us. And like the broken beggar, all of these people came that day with a very specific set of expectations. You see, what the crowds wanted from Jesus was silver and gold. They wanted Jesus to make them great again. They wanted Jesus to deliver them from the oppression of the Roman Empire. This is the height of their expectation. But the fact that Jesus does not ride into the city in beautiful pageantry, but instead chooses to ride into the city on a lowly donkey, is Jesus saying, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. Jesus wasn't there to deliver them from the power of Rome. 
Jesus was there to deliver them from the power of death. It's not that their expectations were too big. Their expectations were too small. The lame beggar in Acts 3 was given a beautiful, doubt, a beautiful gift, no doubt, to be able to walk for the rest of his life, however long that may be. For those of you who really want children, I really hope you have children. For those of you who want to get married, I really hope you get married. For those of you who are praying for your loved ones who are sick, I really hope they are healed. Because any time we experience a miracle in this life or something great in this life, it is absolutely a gift of God's grace. Just like it was for this lame beggar. But at some point, let me just say this, this man who was healed for a moment still died. He still died. The miracle was great, but even the miracle was temporary. To fixate on the miracle alone is to miss what the miracle is pointing to. I know that there are a lot of us in this room who came to church today and we're waiting for a miracle. We're waiting for a new job. We're waiting for a big break. And through tears, we're saying, Hosanna, help, save us. But friends, I want you to know that all of these things are temporary. And what this coming week is all about is being reminded that the greatest miracle of all, the one that all of humanity has been collectively groaning for, has already happened. And so this morning we fix our eyes not on what is seen. Because maybe all we see is brokenness. We fix our eyes on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal. Let's pray. I want to give us a moment to just allow the words of this text to allow anything you heard today to just set on our hearts. And let me ask you, what is your expectation of God this morning, even as you sit here? Do you believe that the same God who healed this man in an instant can heal you today? Do you believe that he wants to transform your heart and your life? And do you believe that he can? May our prayers not be too small. May we pray big prayers believing when the power of God breaks in, everything changes. And so let's take a moment to bring whatever it is we're waiting for to God, honestly, openly, to bring all of it, to bring all of our brokenness, the brokenness we feel inside, the brokenness we experience out there in our relationships or in the world. Let's bring it all to God. And let's ask for healing 
let's ask for relief. But more than the miracle itself, let's ask for an encounter with him. Whether on the mountaintop, give me Jesus. Whether in the valley, give me Jesus. May that be the cry of our hearts. Lord, we come here today, broken people, all like the lame beggar who can't stand on our two feet, whether it's physical, emotional, relational, spiritual, we are all utterly broken in need of grace. And God, we look around at ourselves and in our lives and in our relationships and we see so much brokenness all around us. We see so much loss and grief and pain and anger. We bring all of it to you. We don't always know why things happen, why you do what you do. We don't always know why we're waiting or why we find ourselves in certain situations and circumstances. But we thank you that your goodness and your grace isn't contingent upon our knowledge or our understanding or our expectations of you. And so God, we ask for your Holy Spirit to fall on this place that every person in this room would leave here having encountered the living God. That we would know that there is no name, there is nothing sweeter than knowing you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. We entrust our lives into your loving hands. In Jesus' name, amen.